0: Danny and I have such a g- awesome time when they 're with us, and we can just totally be ourselves around these guys and have a laugh hence me and the bemotion uh, with the blues festival and um, and James got a powerful word this morning um, which is brewing in him, um, so I said to him this morning man it's we 've got some fresh bread in the oven, and God is still brewing it in him um, as it comes out of them um, and so why don 't you come, buddy and um Just share with us what God's putting on your heart for us. Thanks, Chris. Awesome to be uh, here at The Rock. What a great name for a church, The Rock. you thought about that? Thanks. That's great. I'll just put that, just give me a bit more, um, just put it over there, just a bit more roaming room so they don't knock it over. It's great. <clears throat> Greg's intrigued about my marbles. <laughs> the one good thing to, to say this morning is I haven't lost them. They're all here. <laughs> you know, um, up in Auckland, we know how people around the country feel about Aucklanders. They often tell us. That's why when, when I go out of Auckland, I'm quite a covert agent. And don't necessarily, when they say, oh, where are you from? I say, oh, I'm actually from Hunterville which is where I was born, you see. Uh, but we've been feeling pretty blue lately because our, our blues team has not done very well this morning. And, uh, and fortunately for you, the Hurricanes yeah. have been going extraordinarily well, which is, you know, I'm just so happy for you guys. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was while we were on holiday that I thought that we needed to restore some respect to Auckland. So I, I had to challenge, Viv and I had to challenge Greg and Danny to some games of 10 pin bowling. And, and Greg was absolutely convinced that Wellington would be winners. Wellington are winners. But unfortunately, as the results be, his game, his, Here's game one. You see, you see on the line next to James's name, have a look at the score 126. This is, this is game one. And uh, Viv, 76. Well done. That was awesome. Uh, Greg, the devil's number 111. (laughs) So, Greg actually, I, I could see the competitiveness rising in his spirit, and uh, you know, were we going to have a game? Of course we were going to have a game, so he wanted revenge. So could I please have the results of game two? <laughs> now let me tell you what it came down to in game two. In game two, it came down to the last bowl made by myself, and I had one pin standing, and I had to get that pin in order to beat him. And what happened was Greg's grimacing. He just, he just, I know he's, he just, he wanted revenge in a deep way. And I know that because because he knows Christ, he's forgiven me. And, uh, but, you know, it was just great to see the, that Auckland is no longer feeling blue because we are winners, yes, and winners are grinners, woo Hallelujah. So let's give Auckland a hand this morning. Yeah. <laughs> Greg said to me when we we're over there, I bet you you're going to use, I bet you're going to, he saw me taking a photo of these, I bet you're going to use those, but he'd forgotten all about it till this morning. I can see you. <laughs> well, it's great to be here with you today and um, and I'll just move this stand out of the way. I do you want to drop that little iPad there. Um I've, I do have a word brewing in my spirit this morning and it's the first time that uh, I've preached what I'm going to share with you today. And I kind of got a feeling that it's part of the, uh, the fabric that God is building into the rock. And, uh, it's a bit of a challenging word and, uh, I may not be so eloquent this morning because it's still, you know how you get something from God and it's still forming in your spirit. And, and so I'm going to pray and I'm just going to ask God to help me this morning because I want him to help me so he can help you today. Is that a fair deal? So let's just start pray for a moment. Father, we just thank you today that the living word is active. Lord, it divides between soul and spirit, bone and marrow. It discerns the very thoughts and intent of a human person's heart. And Lord, today that word has the ability to actually bring a division between that which is soulish and that which is birthed from you. So this morning, Lord, we're asking the Holy Spirit would come and that you would, Lord, form Christ in us and that, Lord, today we'd be able to grab a hold of some key truths that would enable us to move forward in this walk with you. I thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. Help me now, Lord. Uh, Grace me by your Spirit to deliver the word that you have formed in me for these dear people that belong to you. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, I want us to take a reading this morning. I love to read Scripture, and uh, I often feel in modern day uh, preaching we leave a lot of Scripture behind. And scripture is really the power, uh, and that's where we derive, you know, the spiritual life from. And so, I'd like to—I'd like to—before uh, I unveil what I want to share about this morning, I want to read a story that took place in the life of the disciples. Where the Bible says that there were five thousand men alone present on this day, and Jesus had been preaching. The day was uh, drawn out long, and uh, they'd actually the people had run uh, all around the side of the lake, and they actually arrived before Jesus got there with his disciples, and they were actually looking for a break. They were looking to come to a deserted place to rest a while because they'd been so busy, and uh, and they got there, and the people were so hungry. That they remained there all day, and Jesus taught all day. Some of us have a struggle with a thirty-minute message. They were so because spiritual hunger, you see, spiritual hunger eliminates time. When when it's like in your prayer times, when you're hungry for God in your prayer times and your time with Christ, you can be reading the Word, and my gosh, an hour is gone. You can be in prayer, and an hour has disappeared out of your out of your daily quota. But you're not complaining because spiritual hunger will draw. Uh, the living God into your realm. And uh, and all of a sudden, you know, God's done a transaction within your life. And so we're going to read the story because I, I want to bring to you today something that I have found to be very challenging in my own life and something that as a pastor for 27 years now, my gosh, I'm coming up to the big 3 uh, that that I have continually confronted in the lives of God's people or should I not say I've confronted, that I've seen the Lord confront in the lives of his people. And today, from all uh, accounts and purposes, this may seem, uh, what I'm sh- going to share with you today, it, it may seem uh, something that may not be relevant to you, but I would just ask you to really tune your spiritual ears in this morning, to see if God really wants to speak to you afresh. Is that cool? Let's have an open heart and an open mind to the Holy Spirit uh, today. Mark chapter 6, verse 30, then the, the apostles gathered to Jesus, told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. There's a sermon right there. Let's not delve too much into that. But as one of my Maori uh, preacher friends says, uh, he says, there's too much hui hui and not enough we dewey. And there's too much talk and not enough action. And so the disciples came back to Jesus and they had a report, download session about what they had done, what they were practically doing with their Christianity and what they had been taught. So there was, a, there was a purification of doctrine that was going on here. Are you on the right track? Are you on the right wavelength? Because as we know, a few degrees off, further down the track, if you if you get a massive oil tanker and it's out at sea, and it goes off course by a few degrees. You know it takes them about two hours to turn the ship back on course because a slight variation of navigation navigation course can end up taking a ship way off course further down the track. So Jesus was purifying their doctrine. Verse 31, and he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. There's a doctrine for holidays right there. For there, uh, <coughs> for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat so they departed to a deserted place in a boat by themselves. Verse 33, but the multitude saw them coming, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. There's spiritual hunger right there. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. You know what most of us pastors would have done? Flipping heck, I'm tired. I've had such a busy day. I've been I've been working so hard all day and we, we don't have any compassion left in us because sometimes when we get tired, we're walking in the flesh and we're not drawing on the resources of heaven. But you see, Jesus always moved and lived in the spirit and he was able through the eyes of the spirit to discern how much hurt these people were suffering and he had great compassion on them because they were hungry for him. Amen. And... Uh, And because they were like sheep not having a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now fast, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. Send them away for they have nothing to eat. Did you get that? All right. But he answered... And said to them, You give them something to eat. Can you imagine how confronting that was? 5,000 men alone, let alone the woman and the children. Estimates, 15,000 people present. And he's saying, You give them, there's not a dairy in sight, there's not a pack and save around the corner, there's not a new world anywhere. And he says, You give them something to eat. How confronting! And how vulnerable would you feel right now if you were one of the disciples? Let's think about it. Let's put ourselves in their shoes in this story. And I want you to feel the emotions of what that may have meant for them right there. And they said to him, what? Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? In other words, stop looking at what you don't have. What do you have? They said, five, got five loaves and we've got two fish and there's 15,000 people to feed. That sounds like a fair enough equation. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in the groups on the green grass. So they all sat down in ranks, hundreds and fifties. There's community right there. There's community right there. For those of you that believe you can exist as an island on yourself, there's community right there. He sat them down in groups of hundreds and fifties because he wanted them to experience the joy of witnessing a miracle together, united. And there's heaps of sermons in this. <clears throat> okay, that's, that's Viv's saying, don't get distracted. Stay on track, James. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. Connection. Connection's happening right there with Jesus. He looked up to heaven. Blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. And so they all ate and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now all those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. This story brings a new awareness into our lives of something that is very significant for all of us. And I know it is because there's something I know about humanity after a while, and that is we're all made the same way. We all have a soul. And our soul is the realm of our mind, our thinking, our mindsets, our will, our decision-making, and our emotions. And your emotions can become your best friend or your worst enemy, depending on how you handle them. Amen? This word was birthed. I was actually reading this story in preparation for another sermon about three weeks ago, and I was in a cafe, or as they say, my coffice, cafe office. (laughs) And uh, and this... uh, these two people, same company uniform, came and sat down on the table next to them. Now, I'm not an eavesdropper, uh, but they were right next to me, okay? And um, and so as I was typing away there, you know, trying to download some deep revelation from the Holy Spirit, my ear began to catch their conversation. And after they sat down and they did their niceties and their greetings, they then began to whinge, moan, and complain for the next 30 minutes, Whinge, moan, and complain about all sorts of things. Now, I could probably summarize it in one phrase, and it was simply the root of it all was there wasn't enough. There wasn't enough time. There wasn't enough resources. There just wasn't enough. The root of their conversation was based in scarcity. Scarcity means not enough or restricted in quantity to meet the need that is current. So as they left, I thought, good riddance. Get out of my airspace. I don't want to hear you whinging and moaning, complaining. You're, 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 um, destroying my workspace here at the coffers. And, uh, and as they went, the Holy Spirit said to me, James, I want to show you something today. And I'm giving you permission to eavesdrop for the rest of your time in the cafe. Because, not because I want you to be a nosy parker, because I want to show you something. And do you know what? For the next two and a half hours, every single group of people that came and sat down next to me got over the niceties and whinged and moaned and complained. Without exception, every single group of people that came and sat down to me. And it was all rooted in the fact that there wasn't enough. And I want to talk to you about the impact of a mindset that Jesus was confronting that day with his disciples when he said to them, you give them something to eat. Because they were saying to Jesus, we need to send them away. Here's the need. It's late in the day. They haven't eaten all day. They've just been listening to you. They've been downloading from you, Jesus. And here Jesus is with the 12. And and they're saying, We need to send them away because they haven't had anything to eat. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So they were saying, we need to send them away because there isn't enough. And I want to talk to you today about scarcity and a mindset that affects most of us in some sort of a way. When we uh where a demand is made upon our lives and we consider the demand to be too great for our personal resource and supply and so what we do is we send that sis, that that need or that situation we send it away from ourselves and we divorce ourselves from the need when in fact the need was probably an opportunity from God and we when we made it into a threat Why did we, why did it become a threat to us? Because in ourselves, we didn't consider there was enough with us or within us. And so we pushed it away from us. And, uh, it got me thinking as I listened to this and I said to the Lord, what is going on here? And the Holy Spirit said to me, what is common with most people in our culture today is that they are operating under scarcity, both in secular and also sacred cultures. And uh, and I, I, uh, I was reading a global activist, Lynn Twist, who's a researcher, and she said this, for me and for many of us, listen to this, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question it or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, we're already behind, we're already losing, we're already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a litany of what we didn't get or what didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the notion of lack the next day. Scarcity is the never enough problem. It comes from an old French word, Scars, which means restricted in quantity. And unfortunately, scarcity thrives in a culture where everyone is hyper-aware of their lack. And you see it everywhere. The massive scourge of, of the low self-esteem issue that we're facing globally right now comes out of the mindset of not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not brainy enough, and it's affecting people everywhere. And I want to talk to you about the answer to it today. That's why God sent me here today, to bring an answer, not just to make us aware of the fact that this probably touches most of our lives. It's touched my lives many times, and I've had to confront it many times in our ministry over the years. So how can I how do I know if scarcity has actually affected me? Well, I want to ask you the question what happens when a demand is made on your life that exceeds your supply? How do you respond to it? Do you send it away? Do you refer on to others? Or do you engage somebody who is enough? Else should I, the all sufficient one, within your life? And make a connect, because what Jesus was looking for in his disciples was that day. You see, already they had witnessed the miracle at the wedding of Cana of Galilee, where there wasn't enough wine, where the party was going so well that they ran out of all the good stuff. And soon there wasn't enough. And in Middle Eastern times, it was a massive shame on you to host a wedding and to run out of the good stuff. Jesus comes into the situation because somebody in his inner circle, namely his mother Mary, had caught something of her son, Jesus, and as a result of her being with him and being around him and seeing what he was propagating, remember, this is this is before his first registered miracle. There hadn't been any miracles before this. And Mary has a connection that has opened up her ability to stand in the gap when there wasn't enough and be the conductor that is going to release the miracle. And she simply says these words, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whew. Wow. So my ability to hear and my willingness to obey It's going to cause scarcity to be broken around my life and the flow and supply of whatever it is, time, money, emotional, strength, whatever it is, to come flowing through into my life. Brené Brown, who's a researcher, she's researched over 10,000 people and documented her results. And I like I like discovering what researchers have found because all they're doing is they're discovering what the Bible actually already records about the humanity and our brokenness and our issues. But she was asked, she asked her clients to fill in a gap. Never underline, underline, never underline enough. Could you please fill in what this statement means to you? Here's a result of some of the ways the clients Answered that question. Never good enough. Never perfect enough. Never thin enough. Never powerful enough. Never successful enough. Never smart enough. Never certain enough. Never safe enough. You see, for us to be who Christ has made us to be, past tense, through the cross. Our perceptions of who he is and our ability to connect with him has a massive influence on how we are going to touch the world for Jesus Christ. If we have a mindset that is like a blockage in the pipe, of where Christ's answers are coming to the world, but because our scarcity mentality, because our disconnection has stopped the answer flowing through our lives, because we've divorced the problem from our lives, because we can't see how there's enough in order to fix the problem. Many think that the opposite to scarcity is abundance. However, I would say this. I have had times in my ministry where we've had exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, and I've had times where things have been really tight, but one thing I have known consistently through my whole 30 years of following Jesus Christ is that there has always been enough. He is the God of enough, the all-sufficient one, El Shaddai. And if he is enough, that means I am enough if I'm in him. Look at what Paul the Apostle teaches in Philippians. Verse 11 to 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Content in what? Well, he tells us, verse 12. I know how to be a base. That means I know how to be in need. I know how to abound. That means I know how to live with extra and an oversupply. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But listen to verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, God is enough for me. He is always enough for me. So whatever situation comes knocking on my door, if I've got a connection with him, If I've got a relationship with him, then he is always going to be sufficient for my situation. And that means I no longer have to run for cover when some need or some situation confronts me. Because if it's confronted me and I'm part of the problem, then God wants to work through me to supply part of the answer. And I can only do that if my mindset has been molded and formed according to the word of God, where I understand in my situation, he is sufficient. And he is able to do what he said he would do. Hallelujah. I love it. So what happened to the disciples that day? Well, they hadn't connected properly. Somehow there was a disconnect. And that's what Jesus was testing. He was testing to see if they got the connection. You, you give them something to eat and they manifested. What do you, what do you mean? And immediately they just thought of money. And so often when there's insufficiency, all we can think about is dollars and cents when God is more than dollars and cents. They were thinking, I only have this much. And today I want to expose the mindset of scarcity and give you a very simple answer. It's simple, but that doesn't mean it's easy. I think most of us here are aware if we're confronted. I I, I saw this again this morning. I woke up with a blinding headache this morning. And I thought, how on earth am I going to preach? I can hardly take a step without my head feeling like it's going to fall off my shoulders. So I had to put into practice what I'm preaching to you this morning. Lord Jesus, you are my sufficiency by your stripes that you took on your back at Calvary. I am healed. And I'm standing here this morning preaching my way out of that headache because he's my sufficiency. And I, and I guess what I'm saying is, is that obviously there's some opposition in the spirit realm to what God wants to bring you today. But we find that in all of our walks with Christ, we find that, that there is an answer that God wants us to lay a hold of. Paul said, I want you to lay a hold of that which he's laid a hold of you for. He's saying, I want you to grab it with both hands. But you'll find even in parts of scripture, Paul said, I wanted to come and visit you, but Satan hindered me. Hello. So we need to understand that when when Christ wants to give us a revelation, when God wants to place something in our heart, there will be spiritual opposition all around us, and we've got to continually ask for our receptors, our spiritual receptors, to unveil the spirit realm for what it is, because our enemy is highly organized with a very high authority, authoritarian, hierarchical structure of his minions that he sends out to hassle you and me. Jesus said these words in John 10.10. The devil has only come, the enemy has only come to steal. That means to take from you something that you have. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. God's agenda is fullness of life. And when we're finding scarcity, when we're finding lack, we'll find the work of the enemy operating around about us. And God wants to unmask that today in our lives so that we can become spiritually aware. That's why, that's why, like the rock, let me just put it to you straight, this church. When you find that God is wanting to do a new thing, and it's a wonderful thing when God wants to do a new thing. Because when he wants to do a new thing, that means he has a specific plan. And he has a specific purpose and he calls someone and he raises them up and he impregnates them with that plan and he impregnates them with that purpose. And at the end of the day, that person has to be prepared that even though none go with me, still I will follow. Because when you catch something from God and it's a new thing, you cannot, you 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 have to deny yourself and deny the living God in you in order to turn away from that which he's placed inside of you. And, and, and whenever God does a new thing, there's always a spiritual opposition around about that thing because the devil knows at the end of the day, if his, if God's people catch that new thing, then he's in trouble because when God's people catch a new revelation of Jesus, then the devil better watch out. So what they, the disciples really saw as scarce that day was simply this. God's divine activity. It wasn't money. It was God's divine activity. How can I engage God in this situation of need in a supernatural way that's going to bring a miracle to feed these 5,000 men? Do you see that? They were lacking a belief in God's divine activity that day. And they had become disconnected from the supply. So here's the here's the simple equation so far this morning. Scarcity separates us from divine activity because of one reason, our unwillingness to trust. However, faith in God connects us to divine activity because we are willing to trust. Faith is the substance, not fresh air, not vague, not spiritual entities flying around in outer space. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not saying When I have faith, there is evidence of divine activity within my life. Because my willingness to believe God, despite my circumstances being opposite and contrary to what they should be, my willingness to believe connects me to divine activity and releases the power of God into any given situation. I've had at least one major supernatural miracle every single year I follow Christ. A miracle miracle. And lots of other Stuff that hasn't been instant, because by a miracle we define miracle as something that has been instantaneous over the years. And I'm going to show you in just a minute how we can bridge the connection to the resources of heaven. And really that's what I want to talk to you about today, is that trust is the key to bridging that connection to the living God. If you're willing to trust God in your situation and circumstances then heaven and his and God's resources are going to be at your disposal in every sector of your life today. I want to ask you a question today. How many of you have ever been betrayed? You'd say that there's been a betrayal within your life. See, can I see your hands again? Nice and high. Okay, I would say that's probably 80% of us. What gets taken from you when you're betrayed? That's right. The door to door salesman comes around to you as a mum, housewife, knocks on your door, brings a bright, glossy new catalogue, and the prices are so wonderful. They're so cheap. And then he begins to uh, explain to you how easy the system is, and you can, you can get, you can, you, you, you can, if you're just prepared to pay the price for the lower goods, then, then he'll get them delivered straight to your door, and it's just gonna be an amazing deal. And he's so convincing. And so he says, but first of all, I need to get you to pay up front first. So you pay up front. And he says, I'll get the goods delivered within three days. They'll be here at your house. The third day comes, there's no goods. The next week comes, there's no goods. So you get on the phone to the card that he gave you, and you ring the phone, and there's a disconnect sound. You've just been ripped off. Now, what's going to happen to you when the next door-to-door salesman comes knocking on your door? You'll open and say, go away or something to that effect why because your trust was betrayed and in that sector of your life you are now no longer willing to exercise trust in that situation are you with me you thought your marriage was completely uh trustworthy and uh, one day you as the woman you're cleaning up around the house and you find a crumpled piece of paper in the bin and uh, for some reason that day you open the piece of paper and it's a credit card statement and you uh, have just discovered that your husband has got you into debt to the tune of $10,000 on the credit card and you knew nothing about it. And then you have a look at the transactions and you get another shock about what's been purchased. And you thought your marriage was foolproof. You thought trust was being fully exercised on both sides of the equation. It is a simple betrayal. And all of a sudden, you're wondering now, what other areas has my husband betrayed my trust with? And trust is taken from you. Now, when trust gets taken from you, you behave differently. You would be foolish, wouldn't you? If your trust has been betrayed in a deep way, to blindly and simply go on exercising full trust in that person or that situation. I could go on and on, and you get the picture. And here's the problem why many of us get locked away into a pit of scarcity. To trust somebody and their word requires vulnerability. And my message today is simply put, that vulnerability is the key and is the answer to breaking you out of your pit and mindset of scarcity. To build a meaningful connection with anybody, including the Lord, you're at some stage going to have to become vulnerable. Here's what the word vulnerable means. Uncertainty. Risk. Emotional exposure. Exposure. That's what vulnerability means. And vulnerability is actually at the core of all our emotions and our feelings. In fact, to feel anything is to be vulnerable. Hello, is anybody home this morning? Let's talk about love for a moment. Loving another person. Waking up every day and loving someone who may or may not love us back. Whose safety we can never Absolutely guarantee. Who may stay in our lives or may leave without a moment's notice. Who may be loyal to the day they die or they may betray us tomorrow. That's vulnerability. And human love is filled with vulnerability. It's incredibly risky. And loving someone leaves us emotionally exposed. It's scary. We open ourselves to being hurt. But to pursue a connection, we have no other choice. Here is the finishing off of the same researcher who asked her clients to fill in the gap. Vulnerability is such and such, so and so. Here's what they said, some of their replies. I'm just taking a small portion because of the time this morning. Vulnerability is asking for help. Kiwis hate asking for help. I'm a Kiwi male. I hate asking people for directions if I'm lost. I will hold on to my pride and it might take an hour, but I'll find a way (laughs) without asking somebody for directions. Vulnerability is saying no. If I say no, how are they going to respond to me after that? Vulnerability is initiating sex with my wife. I didn't say this, this is what the, the client said. <laughs> Where's Viv? She's gone. <laughs> that was very convenient for her, wasn't it? <laughs> Vulnerability is, is initiating sex with my husband. Vulnerability is calling a friend whose child has just died. Vulnerability is signing up my mum for hospice care. Vulnerability is the first date after my divorce has come through. So to break out of scarcity, the never enough syndrome, we've first got to form trust in God and be willing to trust people. And to trust means that we have to become vulnerable. You cannot run and hide from vulnerability. Vulnerability. You can place yourself in a fortress, castle, friends, and you can say, I'm never going to trust anybody ever else again. But you have to live in a world where you're interacting with other people. And whether you like it or not, you have to be vulnerable in most segments of your life. And so if you take the hide yourself away in the castle syndrome, then you'll find that no matter how tight security you place around your life, you cannot run from vulnerability. You cannot hide from it. Scriptures filled with stories of all sorts of men and women who have become extremely vulnerable in their pursuit of God and when God asked them to do something. Moses was called to be a leader of a nation, to be the head and the spokesperson of the children of Israel, to Pharaoh, the the most powerful ruler of his day. And he couldn't even speak without stuttering. Can you imagine how Moses felt when God asked him to be a leader and he couldn't even speak a sentence without stuttering? How vulnerable must have been. And, and we saw his vulnerability. I, 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 I can't do that, God. And he was resolute that he wouldn't be able to speak publicly in front of other people. And in the end, Moses actually won that battle. And God said, okay, if you're not prepared to do it, and trust me, and if you're not prepared to be vulnerable in this situation, I'll choose somebody else. I'll choose your brother, Aaron, and he will be the spokesperson. I think about the two spies that went into Jericho to spy out the city. Do you know how vulnerable they must have felt to entrust the future of a nation to a prostitute? This is the reason why we don't see. We say, what is the reason why we don't see many supernatural things happen in the Western world? It's not just because of unbelief. It's because we're not willing to become vulnerable enough to trust God to come through for us. So two spies trusted the word of a prostitute in order to bring the downfall of the most fortified city of the day, the city of Jericho. And she came through for them. But they had to trust. Can you imagine as they went away? Is she going to spill the beans or is she not going to spill the beans? I think of uh, Gideon, who's faced with enemies all around about him. And so what he does is that he, thinks, he begins thinking in the natural. And he thinks the only way we're going to be able to defeat our enemies is if I can gather the largest army that I can find. And he works up a sweat and gathers 30,000 people. God said, there's too many. What do you mean there's too many? Didn't you hear, God, our enemy, the scripture says, our enemy is numbered like the sand of the seashore. Can you imagine picking up just a handful of sand and how many grains are in that? Scripture is saying we're so heavily outnumbered and you're saying we've only got 30,000 and it's too many. God, what are you asking me to do? I'm feeling extremely vulnerable here. We're all going to get slaughtered. And in the end, he ends up with 300 to take on this vast enemy. And then God doesn't give them bazookas. God doesn't give them, you know, uh, jets flying in, giving them air cover. God gives them a clay pot, a candle, and something to break it with. And a shout from their lungs. These are going to be your weapons. How vulnerable would have you? You know, at the moment they gave their shout, you know what they were doing? They were revealing their position to the enemy. Can you imagine how vulnerable they must have felt? We're going to get done. They're going to just roll over us like a steamroller. But friends, they connected to the divine in all these situations. Scarcity did not enter into the situation because they were willing to trust God, because they'd made a connection with the living God. And out of that connection to the living God, faith flowed into their spirit. And that which was uncertain became certain. That which was waving, that which was, that that, that which was uh, completely vulnerable to them in that situation, they were able to come through with a sense that God is on my side. And no matter what happens to me, no matter how many enemies come around about me, we're going to smite the enemies. Because you are with us and I can feel you with us because I've got my emotions in check and I've brought everything in me underneath your lordship. And I'm willing to trust you, God. We need friends to embrace our vulnerability. It's time, I believe, for the body of Christ to be willing to trust God for who he is, to break scarcity off our lives, to become vulnerable, you see, when you become vulnerable and you become willing, even though emotionally you're feeling really topsy turvy, friends, then you can begin to dare and take risks and adventures in your life. My gosh. I came uh, a number of years ago, my wife and I came out of the mega church scene after pastoring in the mega church scene for many, many years. And uh, and God began to speak to us about leaving it all behind and trusting him. And two and a half years ago, we both left very well-paid positions. Positions that had a lot of responsibility. Positions that, that it was nice. It was nice to have all the perks of the position. It was nice to have all that comfort surrounding us. And God began to speak to us and say, I've been showing you some things, and I know that you've said to me, "How on earth am I going to act on these things because I can't do it in this culture, in this environment?" And God said, "Well, you're going to have to leave and trust me, aren't you?" And to leave meant that we had to—we had a, a $350,000 mortgage because, as you know, shacks in Auckland are, you know, close on a million dollars these days. <laughs> and uh, and I, I had a family. I've got a family. And so how were we, how were we going to provide? And God was just saying, are you willing to trust me? You know, this is me. And so I said to the Lord, as my wife and I were making our final decision, God, I know this is you, but I would just like some, I would like some confirmation that is out there. And you know what God did? Four hours later, we were on the other side of Auckland, walking out of a supermarket, not where we lived, another suburb on the other side, eastern Auckland. And he sent a prophet who saw us walking through the mall. And we walked out onto the pavement, and this guy came up and tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, excuse me, are you two Christians? And I said, this is four hours after we prayed this prayer. Why? Because we, were, we had said yes we had we had given our yes in the midst of uncertainty and great vulnerability. We had said yes, and God knew that we'd said yes in our hearts, that there was no turning back. And because of that, he was willing just to give us that little bit of extra confirmation. And he taps us on the shoulder and he says, excuse me, sir, are you too Christian? We said, yes. And he said, I've got a word from God. I saw you walk, walking through the mall and God has sent me to give you this message. You've been taking small steps of faith and God's just asked you to take a large step of faith and you've been asking him, is this from you? And he says, yes, he wants you to know it is from you. And he says, he said, see, and he began, we had people walking all around us and here he is giving the word of the Lord. And he says, and he begins to walk off down the pavement, turning his head around to continue to give us the word of the Lord. And he says, and he's taking these lunar steps. And he said, man's not designed to walk like this. He's, un, he's shaky. He's not steady. But he said, it's not going to be like that for you because you've been willing to trust the Lord. He said, you're going to walk like this and you're going to be sure, steady and unshakable because God is with you. And at that point, the Holy Ghost hit us. We began to weep and shake under the power of God as we realized we just had a God encounter. Give the Lord a hand this morning. God has... Preordained since the foundation of the world that he is going to change the world. But you know what? He's restricted himself to you and me. And he's looking for clear pipes where mindsets have been broken and smashed and where a flow of his spirit can work through you because you are prepared to become vulnerable and you are prepared to take risks in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of an emotional shakiness. You're prepared to say, yes, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. In fact, even if no one else goes with me, still I will follow you because you've spoken to my heart and I know your word in my heart. I want to tell you of two recent situations just so you can see a window of uh, of uh, God's work in this situation. First situation, about 12 months ago, a woman walked into our church. As you know, it's a new church. It's only a couple of years old. She walked into our church and straight away she caught my eye. She's over six foot. And, uh, and I was looking at her and I was thinking, is she a man or is she a woman? Broad shoulders, wearing, wearing, very loose clothing to mask what I found out later to be extremely muscular build. And I watched how people engaged her. Because friends, I want to tell you, if we're going to be vulnerable, we've got to be prepared to embrace whatever walks through this door and show them the love of Jesus Christ. And I was pleasantly surprised that our new congregation just embraced this woman. And she told us later how, how loved she felt when she walked into the doors of our church, that everywhere she goes, she gets comments, snide remarks, she walks through the mall and people snigger and giggle because of what she looks like. You know what I found out? That she's a world champion. She won the world title. For female bodybuilding isn't it, the amateur title for female bodybuilding. And then I saw a picture of her. She showed me a picture of her in competition. I thought, man, never ever let me get on the wrong side of you. <laughs> and as we got to know her, she began to unveil this incredible story. So on Mother's Day this year, I was praying one day before Mother's Day and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, I want you to approach her. And I want you to ask her, is she willing to share her story? And surprisingly, she said, yes, I'm willing. And I didn't know the full story until I actually heard her speak that day. She got up at our pulpit in our small little church in Auckland. And she began to share this amazing story that she she had this incredible family where there was just love demonstrated continually. Her and her husband were involved in Christian ministry. They were involved in uh, getting kids off the street. They would often have kids come into their home. Her husband was a large Samoan uh, man. And, uh, and seven years ago, they, they had Mother's Day. And, uh, and they had a great Mother's Day. She felt really honored. She's got two twin boys and, uh, and another boy and then a young girl. And uh, and and they just she she said she said at the end of Mother's Day she said life could not get any better than this. And then her and her husband managed to wangle a day off the next day, and they spent that day together. And as she was getting dinner ready that night, she went down to the bedroom as as he was getting changed, and she was in mid conversation with him when suddenly he collapsed to the floor, and he literally died. When she told this story to our church, you could have heard a pin drop. And she said, my world was turned upside down. I had four kids. I had no husband. I had no preliminary, preliminary warnings that this was going to take place. She said, I felt so vulnerable. And then she said, I had to go through the lesson of learning that I couldn't be both father and mother to my kids. And God had to take me through this whole retraining program on how to trust him in the midst of a brand new set of circumstances that she never asked for, but she found herself in it. She she said, my emotions were so raw. People began to weep in our church as she was telling a story. Let me tell you about a second man that I've been discipling for the last eight months. He's got a prison record. He's covered in tattoos. Was raised in a Christian home by a so-called Uh, a so-called woman of much reputation in the community who used to beat him regularly every day behind closed doors where the father could never see what was going on. He was adopted into the family. And as soon as he could at the age of 14, he ran away from home and ran down to Auckland and got involved on the streets. By the age of 19, he was in prison because he beat a police officer. And somehow God sent him to me. When he sent him to me, he'd been... He'd been trying to get off drugs for the last four years. He would t- tried every drug that you could find in New Zealand. And finally, the dreaded methamphetamine P had taken a hold of his life and it was just destroying him slowly day by day. So I began to disciple him. i go in and see him every week. And we would just talk and we would pray together. And uh, he was on, at this stage, because of all the drugs he'd taken, he was on a sickness uh, benefit. He couldn't work, and uh, he'd not been working for four years. And then not long ago, this is about a month ago, I opened Facebook, and right on my feed at that point in time was a pastor friend that I knew that said, does anybody know of anyone who's wanting a job? So I got a hold of him, found out what the job was, and you wouldn't believe it, in our discipleship time that week, my friend that I was discipling said to me, you know what I'd love to do? He said, I'd love to be a bus driver. Guess what the job was? Bus driver. But after four years of of hideous torment of trying to get off drugs, do you know how vulnerable a person like that is? Do you know how difficult it is for somebody who's got a prison record to get a job in New Zealand? Do you know how much they have to expose their soul in order to get a job? So I got a hold of him straight away and I said, you reckon you're up for it? And he says, I reckon I'm up for it. So I... I, I, when the day came, he had no transport, he's got no wheels, he had nothing. Just been living off the smell of an oily rag. Sickness benefit doesn't amount to much these days. And, uh, and I took him around for the job interview and I thought, sweet, half an hour, I can do that. Two hours later, I'm still sitting in the car waiting for him to come out from his job interview. And he got taken through his paces and he came out and he looked all serious and he walked over to the car and he jumped in the car and he turned around and he shook my hand with a big smile and said, I got the job, I got the job. And he's been working for the last two weeks. Now, here's the deal as I finish this message today. Both those people in that situation, for them to move forward, they had to dare. They had to risk, and they had to overcome all their uncertainty. They had to learn how to trust. Because trust is the commodity that is going to break scarcity. The never enough mindset over our lives. The mindset that divorces us from God opportunities and turns them into threats. Scarcity has to go, and the only way it can leave is if we're prepared and willing to become vulnerable to trust Him again. Could we stand to our feet, please? You know... I lost one marble. <laughs> I want to give you an object lesson as we finish. This won't take long, so you can watch standing here. Can everyone see? Maybe just sit down just for a moment so everybody can, the shorter The shorter ones up the back can see. These two marble jars here represent people... That you've come into contact with in your life. And you see, to blindly trust people is a foolish thing. The scripture talks about that. That trust needs to be earned. Amen? Trust needs to be earned within our lives. With people. There's certain people that you know right now in your life. You know that you could trust them in this little area here. But if you're going to give them this massive thing over here, you're in trouble because they're not quite up to this massive task here. they kind of got to work their way up. So to blindly trust them with this is a foolish thing to do. So what we do is is that whether we understand how it works or not, each one of these marbles represents a moment in our lives where they have contributed trustworthiness. So we get two different people here. I don't know if any of you have had kids when they've come home from school and they've They're distraught. They're brokenhearted. And you say, what's wrong, honey? And then they begin to tell you the story that in the interval, in the morning break, they shared this big secret with one of their best friends. And by the time lunchtime came, everybody in the class knew about what they'd shared. And they come home absolutely distraught. And they say, mommy, I'm never going to trust anybody ever again. And you know they can't go on living their life with that situation. So you've got to teach them that life is like this, is that when people come around you and they are kind to you. And when you share something privately with them, and they don't share it with other people, they're putting trust into your life. And conversely, if you've seen somebody that you thought was your friend, and you thought you could trust them, but all of a sudden they betray you in some area, then you realize that some of these have got to come out. And it's, the reserves are looking a little bit lower in that situation because you've got to earn trust. So as the trust levels continue to rise and as people uh, demonstrate their trustworthiness, they're coming up in, their, in your personal estimation. You understand how this works, all right? So that's how it works with people. But I want to tell you today, it works a little bit different with God. Because the difference between God and our human friends is that, let's just say this represents uh, the fact that you've just been saved and and you've come to know Christ. Your life has been turned around. Let's say this just represents my trust towards God when I first became a Christian. These marbles represent saving faith. I was able to trust God for my salvation. And then as I began to read the word I remember the first time my faith was really challenged when our church, I was only six months as a Christian, and our church was taking a mission trip into the islands. And I was praying, and I felt the Lord say, you are going to go. And I said, I'm still paying off thousands of dollars from my drug debts, and you want me to go on a missions trip. Where on earth am I going to find the money to do that? And I felt the Lord just say, trust me. So I began to pray. And as I began to pray, uh, an amazing thing happened. A guy came around to my house one day and he said, I've been praying and I feel the Lord wants me to give you my car because I only had a bike. I've been God stripped me back from everything that I had because of the way I've been living my life. And he gave me a car. It needed a bit of work done on it. But he gave me a car and all of a sudden my my ability to trust God began to go up. And I fixed the car up and within two days of putting it on the side of the road, it sold, and my ticket was complete to go on the missions trip. And God demonstrated a whole lot of a new side that I'd never seen. And then, uh, a, a little bit later, I met this woman. I saw her in a meeting, and I had a word for a word of knowledge for her, a prophecy for her. She's actually sitting on the front row this morning. And she lived at the opposite end of the island from me. This is before the days of email. This is snail mail days. <laughs> And amazingly, out of the blue, because I'd had a prophecy, don't go looking for a wife, I will bring her to you. Don't go looking for her, because if you go looking for her, you'll choose the wrong way. He said, this is, the word of the prof- this is the words of the prophecy. You think getting a wife is like going down to the car yard and saying, I want one that color, that year, and that model. <laughs> and God said, but it's not going to be like that for you. Don't go looking for her, I'll bring her to you. And so one day, out of the blue, out of one small meeting... I get this really wacky postcard that when you get to know my wife, she's got a really wacky sense of humor. Uh, she sends me this postcard out of the blue, and I think, oh, she initiated that first step. I didn't have anything to do with that. And, so, and then what happens, the long, the long and the short of it is, is that we basically met, I don't recommend this for everybody, we met each other three times, and then we got married. <laughs> and in the process of getting married... God revealed a whole lot of steps all along the way and, and God came through every time and all of a sudden the jar was getting fuller and fuller. And over the years now, I don't need to finish this off, but over the years now, my trust jar with God is full because he said in his word, I'm completely trustworthy, completely reliable and what you need to do is willing to be vulnerable and connect with me. And when you connect with me, I'm going to show you a whole lot of miracles. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Right now in this building, there's people who have suffered from some issues of mistrust. There's been some abuses that have taken place in your life. And you've found you've closed up shop. You no longer desire to be vulnerable because of the hurt that you're suffering. There's some of you that are still holding issues of unforgiveness within your heart. And you're just finding it very, very difficult to let go. And I want to hear, tell you today that the Spirit of the Lord is upon us to set the captives free this morning. And God wants to be able to enter our lives in a new way this morning in order to get rid of the mindset of scarcity and see a breakthrough and a download of his incredible hand, miraculous hand working in and through your life. And I feel just simply today that as we finish, I'm going to ask the musicians to come and I'm simply going to open the altar And I'm going to invite you to be altered at the altar this morning by the Holy Spirit. And I'd like to invite anyone here this morning that you're having massive, not necessarily massive difficulties, but you know there are certain roadblocks that you can't go there Because to go there means that you have to make yourself vulnerable. And you don't want to make yourself vulnerable because there's too much uncertainty. There's too much risk attached to it. And so you're going to stay back here. But the problem with staying back here is that you're not going to get your breakthrough. And today you need to walk forward and believe that God has an answer for you in this situation that you find yourself in this morning. If I could just get you guys just to begin playing. And then I want to invite any one here today and the prayer ministry team, I want to invite you to come and receive from the Holy Spirit today. Because He will help you. You know, I haven't told you about the massive arrows that have been hurtled our way that have got stuck in my sight along the journey. And I've had to, I could have just closed up shop and the poison of that arrow got into my system and said, I'm never going to trust you again, God. But I was able by the grace of God to pull those arrows out and for the antidote of God's love to be poured into my life so that I could trust God again. Don't get stuck. Don't allow the devil to hold you back from experiencing the love, the breakthrough, even though it's vulnerable and it's raw sometimes. You can't live life without being vulnerable. And that is my message today. So, why don't you come this morning as the Holy Spirit, so Greg, I just hand it back to you and, and, uh, and let's allow the Spirit of God just to do a work this morning. I know I've gone on a bit, a bit too long today. That's what happens when you get a, a kind of word that's sort of, you know, it's still bubbling away. But I trust how many of you today have received something from the Holy Spirit? in terms of what he's saying into your life this morning. And I just want some of you just to take that extra little step today. Say, God, I I feel so uncertain doing it, but that's what vulnerability is. And allow God to rebuild your ability to trust him today. God bless you. that you come to the altar today and allow the Holy Spirit. Some of you are having a few trust issues in your marriage. God wants to rebuild some trust. There's a number of you that have been challenged in the workplace and you know that God wants to do something more in your workplace, but you're not quite sure how it's going to be received. Holy Spirit today wants to give you the courage. To be vulnerable, you need to be courageous. That's why God said to Joshua, be strong and be very courageous. Because to be vulnerable, you must be courageous this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, would you just come now? 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 You just come now? Lift your hands to the Lord. Just close your eyes for a moment. Those that are wanting ministry. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. There's just a moment happening right here at the altar. For those of you that are going to pray with me this morning, for these ones that have come forward, I want you to be gentle. I want you to quietly come alongside these ones that have come forward. And I want you to simply lay a hand on their shoulder. And I want you to release the Holy Spirit. Release the Holy Spirit. If you're a life group leader, elder staff' just come forward you're in ministry pre ministry come forward.